0: My Govon, and welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And it's no secret that I have a lot of beefs with the Peter Jackson trilogy and a lot of them have to do with rather significant plot changes. But plot changes aren't the only thing that distinguish Peter Jackson's movie trilogy from the original that Tolkien wrote. And one of the things that really stands out if you look at some of the themes and some of the other types of things that are just different between the two is the idea of the the moral compass and reasoning of the characters in the original story versus that of the characters in Peter Jackson's trilogy. And I want to explore some of those differences here and explain why that is significant for purposes of the story and the storytelling. Before I get to that, though, I did want to make sure... To mention that I do have a Discord server now, you can find a link to that in the description below to join and talk with other fans of the channel about all things related to Tolkien. So if you want to continue conversations about all kinds of stuff that I don't necessarily talk about in videos, do join there and have some fun with the other people in the Discord already. Some of the other YouTubers that do Tolkien stuff are also uh, members of the Discord as well, so you might get a chance to chat with some of them about some stuff. That said, let's get to the topic at hand. Now, to start out, there's some minor changes, and then there's more significant changes to this aspect of the story. Some of the more minor changes involve things like, say, the Council of Elrond. I've talked before about how the Council of Elrond in the book goes through a rather painstaking discussion about what to do with the Ring. There's this long conversation of the history of the ring, what it is, what it does, and then they finally get around to, well, what do we do with it? We still have to decide what what we have to do with the thing. And they talk about a number of different options. One of them is, well, we could try to take it to the west. Elrond knocks that down, says the, the Valar wouldn't take it. Some of them say, well, let's just throw it into the sea, and then Sauron can never get it. Gandalf says, well that might solve our problem temporarily, but it's not our part to take thought for just our time. We need to think about a long term solution to this. And eventually this is how they come to decide we have to destroy it. In the movie this gets short shrift because it kind of just gets skipped. All of this discussion is skipped and Elrond comes out very early and says you have but one choice. The ring must be destroyed. And There's no discussion about it. There's no alternatives discussed or even suggested. It's just, bam, we're done. Here we are. Now, some of this, of course, is for purposes of saving time, but there's, you know, the point being, there's just no real discussion of the possibilities, the hard choices that have to be made. It's just the choice. Here's the choice that you have, and we have to do it, even if it's hard, which is, A form of moral thinking, it's like, you know, there's something that needs to be done, and it's hard and dangerous and may not work, but we still have to try, but it's a lot less nuanced and complicated than it is in the book. There are many other examples that are kind of similar to this. I've done a video previously on the the issues in the book where we come across a conflict between law and morality, and usually these have to do... Uh, There's three major instances with, you know, people entering into realms where technically they're not legally allowed to be. Those would be Lothlorien, Rohan, and Minas Tirith. I mean, not Minas Tirith, Gondor. Because when Sam and Frodo enter Ithilien, they're technically trespassing on Gondor's land and are not supposed to be doing that. Faramir has to resolve that. Eomer has to resolve what to do with Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. And Paul Deere and his fellow elves have to resolve what to do with the company to figure out what to do with them. And some of these are harder than others. I'll link to the video where I went over these in the description below. And some of them are less direct conflicts of law and morality than others. For example, in Lothlorien, the main sticking point is the fact that, well, you've got a dwarf with you and we don't really let dwarves in and they have to do the whole blindfold thing. Well, are we going to blindfold everybody, or just the dwarf? Or it? So, there's some minor things there, and there's some discussion, and Aragorn threads a needle by, per, by proposing that, well, instead of just blindfolding Gimli, which is kind of unfair to him, we're going to just blindfold all of us and make it all equal. And that doesn't make Legolas happy, because he's a kinsman, and, you know, that really... <laughs> makes him pretty upset but nevertheless Aragorn is using that as a way to kind of accommodate the various interests at play until they actually get word from Galadriel and Celeborn that basically tells Haldir, "Hey, they're all welcome. They're fine." And then they take all the blindfolds off. The Faramir and Éomer episodes are a little more complicated because there there's just kind of a direct law that you don't come in here if you're a stranger, period. And in that circumstance, both Faramir and Eomer have to decide, what what do I do in this situation where, morally, there really seems no reason to you know either take these people prisoner and take them to the ruler. And, in fact, there's good reasons to let them do what they're doing, but the law says otherwise, and they have to wrestle with this. Another episode that I talked about in that video was Baragond having to decide what to do when Pippin tells him hey, Denethor's gone crazy and he's about to kill Faramir. This one is the most direct conflict between law and morality because it really comes down to the law in place being Baragon's own oath to serve the steward as the steward of Gondor and the moral requirement that he not just let Denethor murder Faramir. And so there's there's not a whole lot of explicit moral reasoning in that particular instance because we don't get Baragon's inner thought process, but we get a short exchange between Baragon and Pippin where Pippin's like, I understand you have sworn an oath because I've done the same thing, but it's, you know, you either keep your oath or you you let Faramir die. And ultimately you got to pick. I mean, you know, because both are bad, obviously. So there's... All these instances where people reason out what to do, and in some of them we get really interesting insights into the way moral reasoning takes place in Tolkien's framework. For example, when Aragorn is talking to Eomer and Rohan, Eomer at one point says, how does a man judge in times like these where legends spring out of the grass and whatever, and Aragorn says, as he has always judged. you know, Right and wrong don't change from yesterday to today. they it's the same all the time, you just have to you know, adapt to different circumstances, basically. And so you get these little elements of nuggets of wisdom that help us navigate what may seem like morally gray or morally difficult situations. And it's really interesting because Tolkien allows these things to come out through the storytelling and the way these conflicts develop. Now, again, looking at the way this compares to the movie versions of all these encounters the movie versions always take out all of the conversation and discussion of the the real moral dilemmas you get instances where you know there's a, the conflict is resolved in some way but almost never do we get any extended discussion of why it's the right way to resolve the issue. So Faramir in the movie, of course, does radically different things because he initially takes Frodo and Sam on the way to Minas Tirith to deliver them to the steward for judgment and basically to hand the ring over, and eventually changes his mind when he sees Frodo almost hand over a ring to a ring Wraith, which it's it's like a something hits him, this is actually probably not a really good idea, and maybe they were right after all. There's no rational thinking process to it. It's just like a major catastrophe nearly occurs and it shows him in a very blink of an eye type way that what he was planning to do is actually not a good idea. Similarly, aomer and Aragorn don't really have any kind of extended discussion. There's not really a whole lot of In fact, I don't even think they mention the fact that as strangers in the land, they're technically not allowed to just wander around, so we don't even get that conflict. There really isn't a conflict, it's just they're strangers and therefore Eomer is a little bit hostile, and then it all kind of sorts itself out. There is no Baragond, of course, in the movie, so that doesn't even come up. Another really interesting example of this, though, that I didn't discuss in a prior video, is the Ents and their march on Isengard. We don't see much of the int's reasoning because the int moot is held mostly out of sight where Mary and Pippin are off with one of the other ints, and they're not really party to most of the discussions, which is all in intish anyway, and therefore would, they wouldn't understand it. But what's interesting and, and significant about the difference between the book and the movie is that in the book, Treebeard knows in advance that, you know, Saruman has been cutting down trees and doing lots of nasty things, but he still has to get the Ents together and have a very long-winded, literally, discussion about what to do about this situation. It's not as simple as, well, we just rashly attack Isengard. We have to think about this. And Ents are known for taking their time and thinking about things because they're just, that's what they do. They're very slow to do anything, and they have to deliberate. Very deliberately, (laughs) as it turns out. In the movie, they have the imp moot, and then Treebeard tells Merry and Pippin, no, we can't really do anything about this. We're just going to weather the storm. Merry and Pippin try to make an appeal. You know, Merry says, but you're part of this world, aren't you? And the Ents kind of look at each other like they feel bad, like they there's some kind of guilt there, but they don't change their mind. Pippin comes up with the idea of, well, let's make sure that Treebeard goes in a direction that he's going to see the trees cut down. And when he gets there, he's shocked. He's apparently never seen this before. And this sets off the firestorm that he gets all the other Ents to join in and they're going to attack Isengard. So, in this particular instance, it is not a, hey, we know what's going on, we need to have a discussion about how to handle it. It's, we don't know exactly what's going on, we're going to have a discussion to figure out what we want to do anyway, and once we've decided no, we then change our minds because major emotional impact. And that, you know, that has a lot less value in terms of moral reasoning than actually knowing the facts up front, discussing it, and thinking in these terms, like Gandalf's wisdom about we don't want to think about just today, we have to think long term. Aragorn's wisdom of right and wrong have not changed since yesteryear, we judge as we always have. This is just a very emotional response of, that's mean, I'm going to do something about it now. And that's not to say that the decision is wrong because of the way it was arrived at, it's just that the whole process is reversed such that we can't be sure that Treebeard is doing the right thing from a deliberative sense. We know it's the right thing in the sense that it it's really is kind of what he's supposed to do from the book perspective. But it's, you know, if you make decisions in this way all the time, it's a lot harder to say that you're certain that you're doing the right thing all the time. But the real capstone to all this is one scene near the very end of the book, and that is the confrontation with the mouth of Sauron, where very different things go down in the book versus the movie trilogy. And this goes back to that emotional response thing in a really, really big way, because in this particular scene, there's really not a lot of moral reasoning going on, but the themes that we have seen play out in the book and the movie carry through this scene in a very significant way. In the book, of course, what we have is they meet at the in front of the Black Gate with the Mouth of Sauron, who you know kind of opens by being insulting and saying, "Y'all have got this little pitiful band of warriors that doesn't even really amount to an army." You have a bit of broken glass on your chest that doesn't make you a king and blah, blah, blah. He starts off insulting and then Aragorn kind of just has a staring contest with him and his glance is so threatening to the mouth of Sauron that the mouth of Sauron quails and says, I am an ambassador and cannot be assailed. Uh, Apparently he thought he was about to be attacked. Gandalf finally speaks up and says, well, where that custom holds, it is also the custom for ambassadors to use less insolence. Um, so Gandalf is acknowledging, yes, there are ethical standards for dealing with parlays and ambassadors, and we have every intention of upholding those, but are you living up to your own standards? Uh, and then, of course, they have the conversation of the Mithril shirt and all this, and there's probably some background reasoning going on in Gandalf's head at this point because Gandalf seems to be thinking in terms of, you know, giving up, at least from Pippin's perspective, because of Frodo being captured and who knows what. But they ultimately, of course, decide we're not accepting your terms. We don't have any reason to think that Sauron would even. You know, actually keep his word in in these terms, even if we accepted them. Uh, so no, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. And in his background mind, we can assume Gandalf is putting forth a lot of the same kind of mental reasoning. And then the mouth of Sauron trots back into you know the the fortress behind the gates of Mordor, and then we have a battle. Right. In the movie, a very different set of circumstances plays out, and the order of events is slightly changed. We get the Mithril shirt very early, and then we start getting the insults to Aragorn, because after throwing out the Mithril shirt and all this, Gandalf looks, again, like he's going to crumble, and it's Aragorn who kind of steps up, and almost literally steps up, because he starts very slowly riding forward, and this is what draws the Mouth of Sauron's attention to him, rather than Gandalf, and he then starts, you know, insulting Aragorn as not being worthy of being a king and all this other stuff. And then Aragorn just sweeps his sword out and chops his head off. And that, that's kind of the end of that scene. Now, again, what we don't see is any kind of moral reasoning or any kind of even prudential reasoning or anything like that. What we see is more or less what we got with Treebeard a very emotional response to the situation. Now, Aragorn doesn't seem to have killed the mouth of Sauron out of a sense of his own be- being insulted, because after he kills the mouth of Sauron, the first thing he says is, I do not believe it. I will not, referring, of course, to the idea that Frodo's been tortured and killed, um, or at least tortured. And so the What he seems to have been doing was putting an end to the deceit that the Mouth of Sauron is trying to practice on them. Uh, Which, you know, whether he believes that for reasons or believes that just because it's what he feels in his gut or his heart or whatever you want to call it, is really kind of irrelevant. The real point is, did he really have a right to kill the guy over that? I mean... Yes, we can assume the mouth of Sauron is a tremendously evil dude who needs to be killed, but do you kill him for that specific thing? I mean, you wouldn't kill him for the insult either. I mean, the point being, killing the mouth of Sauron is not a morally or legally justified decision in this particular case. We've already established from our book discussion... That there are certain rules for parlays and ambassadors. Those rules exist for a reason. If you can't, you know, have some kind of guarantee of your personal safety as an ambassador, you wouldn't act as an ambassador to a parlay. You just wouldn't do it. Because you would just assume, well, they're just going to take me and kill me, and what's the point then? So you'd never do that. Uh, and, And by the way, I should mention here... There's a—the way that it's worded in the book implies that there's probably more than just one person with the mouth of Sauron, because an embassy comes, and it's probably the mouth of Sauron with a few attendants, not just the mouth of Sauron. And so, in that instance, it would have been foolish to try to kill the mouth of Sauron anyway, because there probably would have been reprisals instantly. Uh, and there's a really interesting parallel to this, of course, back in the First Age, because after the first major battle in the First Age where Feanor gets killed, Mithros ends up accepting an offer to have a parlay with Morgoth's ambassadors, and both sides decide to cheat. And it doesn't end so well for Mithros because his side brings fewer people to cheat with than Morgoth's side does, and Morgoth captures Mithros so this is exactly the kind of thing that is behind the idea of there are certain rules that we adhere to when it comes to ambassadors and parleys and all this kind of thing. When you cheat, it tends not to go well. Nobody cheats in the book in the Lord of the Rings for the mouth of Sauron, although the mouth of Sauron is pretty you know ugly and rude and you know insolent to use Gandalf's term. But none of that justifies breaking the rule and killing the guy. So this kind of caps off a, this long train of differences in the book and the movie. Because what we can see is all of the themes that I talked about in the earlier examples coming to fruition here. We don't see Gandalf or Aragorn in the book reasoning through what to do in this situation... But we know that they're the kind of people who do that sort of thing. And we know that they're the kind of people who will definitely take the hard and uncomfortable road as long as it's the right thing to do. Whereas in the movie, we get this idea that, you know, sometimes we just know what's right and then we do it. And sometimes that happens to be because we get a really big emotional shift in our thinking because something happened externally that sets us off, like what happens with Treebeard, or even Faramir. So, what we get in all of this is the fact that Tolkien's story is very much teaching us through the whole thing that moral decisions can be difficult, and we have to sometimes think about them very carefully, And we can arrive at the right decision, and then it may be difficult, and it may be, you know, it may align with what we feel to be right, but ultimately it's about really processing the information we have, using the tools that we have at our disposal, and choosing the right thing based on all of that, and then following through. Peter Jackson's moral reasoning, and I don't mean Peter Jackson as a person, obviously I'm not, I'm not trying to impugn his own morality. I don't know anything about him in those terms. But Peter Jackson's morality in the story is much more this feels right or, you know, we can just instantly reach conclusions without even thinking about things and occasionally if the emotions are right we can just, you know, go off half-cocked and just act without really thinking and it's okay. And... Like I said before, some of the differences are, you know, a, a lack of material making it into the trilogy because probably time reasons and, you know, fair enough, but when you start to see the things add up and then culminate in this final scene, one has to wonder if there's, if it's less about just saving time for more things in the movie and more about, either a lack of understanding or a fundamental disagreement about how moral reasoning and moral decision-making ought to take place. And, you know, the way this scene plays out in the movie is definitely an instance in which I would say Peter Jackson, I think, really missed the mark and did something where he upended one of the more valuable things about the original story, which is not a major plot point which is not anything to do with really changing the fundamental nature of any of the characters, except arguably Aragorn, because Aragorn is the one that goes off and kills the guy with no real justification. Nevertheless, this whole theme of morality and how to make decisions in moral terms has rather significant implications Tolkien is very careful to develop this idea throughout the story because we can see early versions of it in Gandalf's discussion with Frodo about the Ring and, you know, the Shadow of the Past chapter, and then we see it in all these multiple episodes following where we have discussions back and forths and, you know, really wrestling with hard ideas. And then we get to this final scene where certainly the mouth of Sauron comes out and is... You know, he's the kind of guy that obviously needs to die. The narrator more or less tells us this, that he's extremely evil, more evil than any orc, or more cruel than any orc. I forget exactly how it's worded. And so he certainly needs to die. But as Gandalf tells us way back, it's not, you know, it is not necessarily your place to judge and kill somebody just because we can say, I dare say, he does deserve to die. You know, Gandalf says this about Gollum. And Gandalf, of course, doesn't know for certain that Gollum deserves death. He says, I dare say he does. Is that enough, really, to kill somebody? I don't know that I would want that on my soul, and Tolkien wouldn't want it on his. Peter Jackson seems a little less concerned about that. So, this is why this difference is so significant. Because the overall arc of the trajectory of this points... In two radically different directions in the book versus the movie. And I think the book points in by far the better direction. But the movie is much more emblematic of a, let's just say, our modern age in which, you know, we don't tend to philosophize about these things. And that's not to say that the average person philosophized a great deal about their moral decisions on a day to day basis in history, but you had people who thought a lot more about how to do morality and moral reasoning than we really probably do in the current day and age. And I think that's a great loss to our culture and civilization. So, anyway, this is my thoughts on how this idea of moral reasoning plays out in the book versus the movie. Hope you enjoyed it. Please give it a thumbs up and share it around. For others who might enjoy it, if you want to catch more of my content, you can subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, or even find me on Podcatchers. Click the bell icon on YouTube to make sure you don't miss any of my content. And you can also follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore. Don't forget about that Discord server you can join. And you could support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. No marie. Thanks to all my Patreon patrons, especially Ring Bearer Ego Voice and Elf Friends P.A. Brew News, Deanna Kaufman, Tracy Meehan, and Nathan Dufour.